Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Brown. One of the great things about this podcast is that it gives me the opportunity to talk to people who have different roles in the film business. This time around, I'm joined by Philip Escott, the founder of Fractured Visions, a UK distribution company and film festival which has a keen focus on genre cinema. I talked with Phil about his boutique DVD and Blu-ray label, and we discussed how he goes about sourcing elements like negatives and the work that goes into creating a wide selection of wonderful extras. It's a fascinating and little talked about part of the film distribution process, and I hope you find our chat as interesting as I did. Hi Phil, how's it going? Uh, all good now, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me on. Well, well, thank you for coming. Um, firstly, we're, we're, you're here to talk about your new label, Fractured Visions. So tell me, what is Fractured Visions and what's your, your, your almost your mission statement? Uh, yeah, so Fractured Visions is essentially a, a love letter to all things cult cinema. It started off as a, a small event here in Cardiff where I'd rent out a theatre, put on a double bill of cult films just to share with like-minded people. And it's kind of evolved over the years. And you have to forgive me, my dogs are full of energy at the moment, so they're fighting one another on the floor. <laughs> at, le- at least we've got an audience, so that's not a bad thing. <laughs> so how do, how do you go about starting up from holding events to setting up a DVD label? How, how does that happen? How, and how do you go about it? Yes, well, my day job is in uh, disc production. So I worked with various labels like Arrow, Second Sight, 101 Films, 88 Films, Eureka, producing bonus content for them. And it's kind of evolved from there. I've been doing that for 10 years now. And so it's just getting the understanding of the, the industry via that. I, I will say I've probably watched hours and hours of your, your, your footage, the things that you've made, because most of those labels I've sort of covered and I, I buy sort of independently of, of, of what I do. So I love those labels and the work that they, they put into the special features. What, sort of how, how did you get into that gig to begin with? Uh, well, I was the age-old story of trying to become a filmmaker and filmmaking doesn't really pay the bills in the traditional sense unless you're a part of the, the system, the wider system. And so as a way of just making a living, I was uh, using my sort of filmmaking know-how in a way that actually makes money, which is mostly producing and editing the bonus material that you see on those discs. And now that you've moved into actually the distribution angle, do you still get involved in the, the making of the, the special features? Oh yeah, absolutely, because I'm a film fan at heart. And when a label has a film that I absolutely adore and they ask if I can help out, yeah, I just jump at the, the chance. And there's a number of projects I'm working on at the moment with Arrow, Second Sight, and 101 Films, and 88 Films. And how do you, you jump from going, right, I know how to make the special features to going into the nitty gritty of getting rights, getting designers, all, all that stuff. How, how does that work? And what, what was your kind of the first step in that journey? Uh, so I had been helping other labels track down rights to certain films. So outside of Fractured Visions, for example, Colobus, do you know that title that Arrow put out a couple of years ago? No, no, I don't. It was an old slasher film from the 90s. I was a huge fan of. Okay. And they were looking for slasher films. And that was one film. I was like, you need to put this out. 
hunt down the producers and the directors, found the rights, got it all signed over with Arrow. And so through that experience of acquiring titles for other labels, I've kind of uh, learned the know-how. But yeah, it did take a while to figure that side of things out. It wasn't something you could just pick up a book and learn how to do. It does, it's kind of sleuthy. It does require a bit of a uh, detective work. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of those movies, they were made independently and obviously there's probably video rights and cinema rights. How do you know where to begin from that, that sort of, although you know what title you want, where, usually where is your first step? Is it just going on Google or? Uh, so it's finding out um, which, well, for the older films, it's far harder because a lot of the producers are dead. And so the companies that they were made for, they've gone bankrupt or folded and been acquired by other bigger, mostly banks who've acquired libraries of films and then sold them on. So that side of things is very difficult and it does require a lot of uh, detective work. But for the, the more modern titles, like something from the 90s, that's a lot easier. You just contact the producers directly, find out where the rights are, because they'll know. They'll have a chain of title, which will say it was sold to this company for X amount of years. So from there, it came back to us, or it's gone to another company if they've had the rights for you know, longer than 20 years. And when you pick up the rights, uh, apologize, I'm just so curious about all this, but when you, you pick up the rights for something, is it just for five years, 10 years, or does it really depend on the title? Uh, yeah, so it depends on the, the sales agents and it depends on the, the film. So the, the older catalog titles, they do have a license window of normally between five to seven years. But on a, a more modern title, you could you get that between 10, 12 years sometimes. In the glory days, it was a, a label would own the film forever. But those days are, are long gone, thankfully, which I think is a good thing for the filmmakers and the industry. Well, that's it, because sometimes, I mean, sort of 20 years ago, maybe you could pick up a film and it would be a really bad print. And, you know, you'd be like, you'd stuck with just this bare bones disc with this scratchy print that looked like it had been put through a tumble dryer or something. So, which brings me to the next point, remastering these things. What's the mechanics of, of doing all that? And how, how do you go about that and getting the negatives and all those original elements? Uh, yeah, so for the bigger labels, they, they do have the budget to go back to the, the OCM, which is the, the camera negative, and run it through their new scanners and get a brand new scan of a, a print. But for myself, I have to rely on the, the sales agents. So those scans could be from anywhere between 10 to 15 years to a couple of months old. So it really is potluck. But yeah, the guys like Arrow and Second Sight, they have the the bankroll to be able to just say, well, this, this scan is over five years old. We don't want it. We'll do a brand new one. But that does cost tens of thousands of pounds. Even for like a kind of a really low budget title that might be very niche? That... Yep. So it depends on who you use to scan the print. So in, the, uh, in London, it's more expensive than, say, in LA, oddly. But yeah, it all depends on where the, the camera negative is. I mean, if you've got to ship it all the way from, say, Italy to LA or London, if you're shipping it, you may as well just factor in, is it going to be cheaper to send it all the way to LA instead of bringing it to a shorter distance like London because London's more expensive than LA. So yeah, it all comes down to how much budget a certain label has. Right. So for Fractured Visions, what made you suddenly go, right, I want to get into the boutique label business? Um, because 
most of the labels that are going, you know, your, your, your ROs, your, your second sites, they're a good maybe 10 years old, if not a bit longer. So for you to be the new kid on the block, what was the point in time that you said, right, this is what I want to do now and I'm, I'm going for it. So what, what was the thinking behind it and, and the process into that? Yeah, well, it's just a carry on of um, bringing films that I love to an audience. So it's a, a broader sort of version of the original idea that I had when starting the, the little monthly showings. So there are films out there that some labels may not take the risk on because they don't feel there's a market or they feel like the market is too small because the bigger they are, the bigger their overheads, the more units they need to move. So it's all understandable where, as for me, it's just me. So I can take a risk because I only need to move, you know, a marginal amount of units compared to what Arrow may need to move. So I think that's my, my in. I can take a bigger risk on certain titles that those bigger companies may not feel is worth it. And once you've, you've kind of, you selected your title, you've, you've gone through the process of, of tracking down the print and you've either remastered it or got your negative. What's the process to then go, these are the special features that I want? Um, is, is that something that you've already got like a wish list of what you want to do? Or do you just see who's available and then tailor things towards that? How do you, how do you go about building kind of the, the additional extras really? Yeah, so with silent action, it's, uh, I mean, it's a 45-year-old, 46-year-old movie. So cast and crew are going to be slim and slimming by the year. So with that one, it was a case of get my producer, Eugenio Ecoloni, over in Rome, find out who is available, find out who would be interested, and then think outside of, so we've got a handful of cast and crew interviews. What else can we do to make this a, a full package? And that, for me, was important because the, the Eurocrime genre hasn't really been explored thus far in the UK. So I thought, that's a good in. So let's get a contextual piece that could give an audience a wider understanding of these movies, how they were birthed, the context in which they were being made, and try and drive awareness and understanding of a, a genre that's not yet fully explored here. Well, that's it. I mean, the, the silent action disc, that you have just loaded with stuff. I mean, you could spend a weekend flying through it, which I did. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, 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 like you said, it puts it in so much context. And I'm someone, I've, I've watched a lot of low budget films and foreign films and everything else, but that sort of genre of Italian cinema, I really wasn't sort of ready or knew a lot about. So sit, literally sitting down to know the bare bones of the plot. And then I was sort of led on this journey, which I thought was brilliant. I thought the film's fantastic, so really good choice. I, you go into it thinking it's going to be a sort of dirty, hurry, 70s Euro, and then it turns into something, a paranoia thriller. So I, that was great, and I watched it and thought, that's a really good movie, really good soundtrack, which fantastic for having the soundtrack album yeah, along with the package. And then the, the special features just, I mean, there's hours and hours of stuff. And then the documentary on the, the, the years of lead. And that, I mean, that was fantastic. Just a fantastic package. And like you said, it puts it in so much context, which surprised me because it's something that I didn't know in history. And it's something I didn't know in, in sort of cinema history either. So that was yeah. wonderful to experience. How do you do that? And then follow that up with something else? 
knowing that you've got to keep that high quality of, of special feature there for the next package? Yes, here's a challenge. And I kind of did shoot myself in the foot a bit because the, the second Eurocrime film I'm doing, which is Freehand for a Tough Cop, which again is, it bucks that trend that you think of with Eurocrime films with the tough policeman going around beating everyone up to try and bring down a, a drug dealer or whatever. But with that one, a, the soundtrack is amazing, but B, it no longer exists. They've lost the, the masters to the soundtrack. So there's only two songs that are available any longer. So it's like, shit, that rules the, the soundtrack out for that one straight away. <laughs> and B, I've got the context on silent action. So now it's like, hmm, people have a, an understanding of the genre now thanks to silent action. So now porting over to this one, it's like, what can we add to this to really boost it up? But luckily, there's more cast and crew members alive on this one. So we've been able to interview right. more people. So the hours of content is still going to be there. But yeah, the, the contextual elements, yeah, it's, it is going to be on this disc, but not in the detail that it was on the first one. Well, I think that's probably quite a good way of, because once you've got people hooked on silent action, and then once they get into the series of them, that should make that easier for them to know the context. And, because people who buy these movies tend not to just buy one title. They're collectors, you know, hence the reason there's, there's the market for them. So I think you, you're probably safe in the context, but it's just, I was thinking, how do you make sure that you constantly build on that to make sure it doesn't appear bare bones once you are? No, absolutely. It's, it's continuing that momentum of getting as much as I possibly can on there, but it comes down to what is physically available. But luckily on the, the other film there are more people alive and willing to talk about the film so it will balance out but yeah it was tough trying to trying to match what was on the first one is that something that you you look at actually when you've chosen a title before you maybe go ahead and license it do you look at what extras you can actually get from it or do you just get the title and then worry about that later how does it is it the the cart before the yeah, horse or? Uh, Probably something I should have done is like think broader picture, but I was like, no, I love these films. I want these films. I'm getting these films. And then he was like, hmm, what can I do with these films? So yeah, I probably should have looked at it from a broader perspective, <laughs> but, but no, it was like, I need these films out. It's been too long since they've been in the UK. So yeah, going forward, I might try and implement that, but the film fan in me is just like, no, these films need to be out. And I'll do everything I can to load the disc up. But yeah, it all goes on a title by title basis as to what can be done. And how did you, you discover your love for these movies? Because like we said, they're, they're not kind of mainstream titles. Where, where did you first see them and, and, and how did you fall in love with them? Um, so with Silent Action, I had the VHS back in the day. It was found in Cardiff Market for like 99p. So that one I've had for a long time. With Freehand for a Tough Cop, that was a, a DVD from, I believe it was France from about 15, 16 years ago. So a lot of them were from the, the DVD era. And there was one label in particular, No Shame Films. Do you remember them? Yep, yep. Yep. They were just like a great label. They were just bringing out so much amazing Italian cult cinema and X-rated cult from Germany as well. So a lot of these European labels were dealing with the, the more exploitative side of Italian cinema. I just discovered so much through them. 
and you're, you're just kind of looking back on the ones you loved and, and then selecting those or? It is, and then kind of ripping off the old Anchor Bay style of delivering a full package in terms of a, a Blu-ray, which is what Arrow and Second Sight and all those guys are doing, because they do it to, like, you know, they're, they're the leaders in the market for a reason, those guys, because they, they absolutely kill it. So it's kind of bringing that level of professionalism. Oh, there goes my dogs. <laughs> that sort of level of um, love for a title, but giving it to titles that maybe haven't had that sort of appreciation just yet. And why do you think there is that? Because we're in the world of streaming now and, and everybody's getting their the kind of the movie fix online, mostly for kind of older films anyway. What, why do you think people are still willing to pay, pay money to buy these titles, these, these old movies? And why do you think this market exists? Yeah, well, I think it goes beyond the, the film because when you pick up sound action, as you, you know, there's hours and hours of additional material on there. So it just transcends the film. It's, it's an experience, it's a packaged experience. Yeah. And you can't get that on a streaming platform. I know with Arrow now, they're introducing like behind the scenes interviews and stuff like that on the streaming side of things. But even that could just be a half hour interview. Whereas with this, you've got three hours of interviews and documentaries, you've got the soundtrack, you've got the booklets. And I think that is where the market is now. People want an experience, not just yeah. a film. Obviously they want the film and in the best quality it can be, but they want to experience more outside of just the film. And that's where myself, Arrow, 101, Second Sight, that's where we're all excelling. So big studios aren't bothering with that. They just check it on a streaming service. But these old films aren't on any streaming services. So if you want to see the film, the only way to really do it is to buy the limited collector's edition Blu-ray. Old DVDs, when they first came out, they had tons of special features and great commentaries. And then as time caught up with the, the movies that they started putting out, nobody wanted to tell great stories anymore. And they didn't want to talk about what went wrong. And, and commentaries became more and more about still selling the movie. In fact, at some points, commentaries would be recorded before the movie had even come out. So there was no real context. So DVDs and special features for modern movies tend to be meaningless these days. And I think that's why the fans like the, the older titles, because there is that distance. People are more open to telling the stories about the production and that sort of thing. Yeah, indeed. And I think maybe there's um, an academic nature to these now that wasn't present back in the DVD era as much. So there's far, far more being written about these films and far more in the way of people writing about these films and people bringing those people into a disc to helps sort of share that knowledge. So I think that does make for a, a fun listen when you have someone who knows their shit talking about a movie, as opposed to a filmmaker sometimes just saying, oh, well, yeah, that was a hot day when we shot that scene. Hmm. It can be a bit dull. Well, that, that's it. I mean, exactly what you said, even, you know, the, the, the silent action DVD, that's a historical document. You know, you, you go into that and you look at not only the film, but like we said before, you put it in context, that is an, an entire piece that you can just go into and suddenly learn a lot about Italy, a lot about film. And I, I think that's so much better than, than just going in and 
like you said, somebody talking about what the day was like or you yeah. know, how nice the location was or whatever it might be. And you just don't get that you know, with, with the mainstream releases. So I, I think it's great that you're able to, to add that into it. And again, it, like I said, it becomes a historical document. And if you are interested in film or you're a student of film, you can just go and pick these things up. And all the work's there for you. It's like reading a book on it, you know. Yeah, and that was part of the, the reason for getting involved in it, as it's wanting to share that love and knowledge of film with fellow cinephiles. Yeah, and it's, it's wonderful. I mean, go back to something you said by, by these titles. You, you sometimes watch the movies and you go, you know what, I didn't really like the movie. But you then go in and you watch all the special features and the commentaries and the, the documentaries. And it gives you a whole new insight into the film. And you suddenly go, I think I'll watch that again because I, I think I, I watched a different movie or I felt differently than these people in the context. And I've gone back and watched a few of them and realized I was wrong first time around. You know, the, the DVD and the, the features and everything else has made me appreciate it more. And I, I think that's a, that's a powerful way to actually rewatch a film without just, you know, sticking it on at one point. To, three in the morning or whatever it might be. Yeah, I've been in the, the same position, to be honest with you. When you watch a, a, a very good documentary piece about a certain subject, originally you may have thought, hmm, I didn't really enjoy that. But then, you know, a bit of knowledge gets dropped on you and you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, actually, I missed that entirely when I watched it the first time. You go back and you see what they're saying now and it kind of opens up a film in a way. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I... I, and it's a brilliant way to actually watch films, you know, with, like I said, especially older ones where you do have that context and you, you do have the insight into it that isn't just a puff piece. So I, I think it's great that, you know, people like you are actually doing that and, and bringing those little stories out and all that information. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, as a big passion for me as, as well. I mean, it's very important that these films are understood because especially these sort of Euro crime movies, they've not aged entirely well in the, the 40 odd years since they were made. Attitudes have changed, but if you can just highlight some of the, the, like the societal issues and what was going on in these times, it can help explain away some of the, uh, the less, or the, uh, the things that are a bit more problematic these days. Yes. Such as the violent police beating everyone up. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Today, everybody's, they tend to be walking on eggshells, but once you, you, you put things in the, the, the context and, and, and you know, you know, because it's a shame that these movies might never be seen if you, you looked at it through a politically correct prism. So it, it's quite nice that you're able to go, right, this is what was happening. These are the people that made it. And this is the film and everything that's wrong with it and right with it and why you should appreciate it and not be ashamed of it or whatever it might be. Well, We'll wrap things up and I'll just ask you one final question. What's next for Fractured Visions? Uh, so next up we have Luz, The Flower of Evil, which is a Colombian horror film slash acid western, which is a brilliant film that I've, uh, I've fallen in love with last year. and was happy to be able to acquire it this year. Uh, yeah, it's very different from silent action. So it's not a, a catalogue title. It's a very much contemporary film, but it fits in with... The, the cult aesthetic that I think it's not a mainstream movie in any way, shape or form, but I do believe there's an audience for new films that 
have fallen under the radar, so they're not being picked up by Netflix. The ones that have fallen through the gaps, as it were. Sure. I think there is an audience, a small audience, but there are a group of people out there who will appreciate this film, like I have. Especially when you're dealing with something like Luz, which is very dark. It's a very dark film. Even though the title means light, it's like that tenebrae thing. <laughs> it is a dark film, so it's not going to please everyone, but the people who get it are going to get it. And it comes down to that thing again where I know I don't have to sell tens of thousands of units of this film. But I know there are a few thousand people out there who will enjoy this film. And this is for them. It's to share with them. After that, it's Freehand for a Tough Cop, which is a bigger title, which will be enjoyed by more people. And yeah, it's a celebration of Eurocrime once again. Away from the sudden action, which is more political driven, this one is more entertaining. It's essentially 48 hours before 48 hours. What? So I think it's going to surprise a fair few people who think these Eurocrime films are all the same. <laughs> <laughs> there goes my dog. That's, that's, that, that's a great way to finish it. So, uh, Phil, <laughs> thank you for taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure, now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time. And I'll see you at the movies.